Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. You may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free and we'd love to have you. Right, little Judas Priest to get get our morning going. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, nice to see you all. Um, first thing, just to announce, is that we finally uh, put out our finally because I was dragging my heels, but um, finally put out our our next episode of Best Book Ever, um, which is a really uh, a really cool conversation that um, I had with. Chani Nicholas, um, if you know who that is, who's uh, an astrologer of some renown and also a member of our uh, community at Icar, and um, and we were t we got together to talk about astrology in um, in the commentary Torah commentary of the Ibn Ezra. Um, so uh, and that was that was that was a conversation that uh, I've been wanting to have for a long time. Talk to an, an actual astrologer about the Ibn Ezra who is one of the great Torah commentators and was really an astrologer, I guess you'd have to say, wrote nine books on the subject. So um, I've always wondered about that. And always, I don't know, maybe some of you, uh, I know someone out there, at least one person I've had a conversation with about astrology and what is astrology doing in the Jewish community? And, you know, isn't that just idolatry? And I know that anxiety, we talked about that anxiety in the podcast. Um, but on the other hand, some great, some of the great sages of the Middle Ages and even on back into the Talmud um, were seemed to at least like uh, at least consider that astrology was um, a legitimate science, um, if not in, if not like part of you know divine wisdom. So a really interesting conversation. And um, if you checked out the last, this season, we're just doing conversations. Um, uh, last season, we did every single Parsha. And this season, we're doing conversations on topics. We did the last one on sibling rivalry. And this one's on astrology. So I uh, hope you enjoy that. Uh, uh, take a listen. We just, just dropped that today. Um, and thanks to Vera, who um, hosts us here, who also is one of the producers and editors of our podcast. So really, really appreciate you and your work, Vera, and to Ben um, Cooley and, and his work, too. He's the producer also. Okay, um, so with that promo out of the way, um, let's uh, let's turn and take a look at, uh, it's just been a busy week, you know, that, that podcast, and it was Purim this week. I feel like I'm still recovering from, from Purim, both the, the inebriation and also the, the, the story of Esther, and um, that in itself, I almost, like, I was so tempted to, to teach more about that today, but Purim's passed, and we have to move into the Parsha. So um, let's move into the Parsha. Let's get back into our rhythm. 
Um, uh, this is a very, very, very um, massive and important Parsha, Parsha Kitisa, and, um, and especially so, it's explosive, 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 but especially so because um, it appears rhythmically right in the middle of four Parshas that are all very, very detail heavy. Um, not only that, they they sort of repeat a lot of the same details. So we had Truma and Tetzave for the last two weeks, and we were building the tabernacle and sewing the priest's clothes, and it was all very nitty-gritty. And then all of a sudden, Parsha Kitisa comes on the scene and just sort of boom, explodes everything. All of a sudden, we're back in the narrative, and not just in the narrative, but we're in we're in real... Um, we're in real danger. <laughs> we're in real danger. So here we are. Let's uh, let's get into some real danger today. Uh, we'll say blessing and then uh, and then begin our learning. Baruch Adonai Okay. So here's where I want to begin. I want to begin today at the ending of the Torah. I want to begin at the ending of the Torah because. At the very ending of the Torah, last lines of the Torah, um, I'll read them to you in a, in a bit. Um, I, as, a, as a student of the commentaries, um, you're following along. Um, maybe you choose a commentary, a different commentary every year, but um, the great first journey through the Torah with commentary is the journey with Rashi. Rashi is is the 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 rash rashi is the rosh right rashi is the first of the of the commentators the the the, the one who defines the style the one that we get trained to read and i do think that rashi's torah, commentary on the torah along with maybe maimonides uh, mishnah torah um are those are like the two greatest works of medieval um, of medieval Judaism. I mean, Rashi's commentary on the Torah is such a masterpiece that it becomes a kind of holy text in itself. So surely we would wonder, what's, what was the last Rashi? Well, what's the last thing that he wrote on the Torah, right? The first Rashi is quite famous. We often talk about that. He uh, famously asked the question, why did the Torah even have the creation story? We could have just started with getting the commandments because it's a book of law, right? That's like a weird and famous question. Rashi has answers and, oh, and we're off and, the, and, 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 and running with Rashi's commentary. So what's the last commentary or a comment on the Torah that Rashi offers? How does he end this masterpiece? Let's take a look. Okay, so um, we're going to look first at the last lines of the Torah, and then we'll see what Rashi says. And as you'll, you'll see, it'll, um, it'll catapult us back into, into our Parsha this week. So um, here we are going to take a look at um, Deuteronomy chapter 34. Um, uh, and I didn't have time to retranslate things today, so you'll see things as they appear in Sepharia. Um, chapter 34, uh, verses 10 through 12, last three lines of the Torah. Velo kam navi od Israel asher yed o Hashem panim el panim. Never again did there arise in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom Hashem singled out face to face, knew face to face. Lechola otot 
והמופתים אשר שלחו השם לעשות בארץ מצרים לפרעה ולכל עבדיו ולכל ארצו. For all the various signs and portents, the מופתים, that Hashem sent him to display in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his ministers, all his courtiers and his whole country. And then here is the last line of the Torah. And for all the great might and the awesome power that Moses displayed before all of Israel, before all of Israel. Okay, that's those are the last. Time. What a great prophet was Moses. He did all these cool things and he was special and God knew him in a special way. And he he delivered all kinds of miracles and signs. And don't forget about the Exodus, of course, and all the great might and awesome power that he displayed before or that he did. Okay, here's here's the here's the here's how we're going to get into Rashi displayed before all Israel. Well, you could translate it that way. But the, the Hebrew is Asher Asamoshe Leine Kol Yisrael. And that is more literally all the awesome, the great might and awesome power that Moses did in the eyes of all of Israel. Okay? Did in the eyes of all of Israel. All the things that, Mo, that Moses did in the eyes of all, all of Israel. Okay? That's where Rashi is going to pick up. Whenever and we're learning Rashi, we look at the words that he quotes, Le'ne kol Yisrael, and that's, those words are um, before the eyes of all Israel, okay, or in the eyes of all Israel, before the eyes of all Israel, that's, that's fine, I, I translate it as in, before, but okay, okay, so let's just stop there. When Rashi quotes the Torah, that's called the Dibur HaMatchil, his beginning words, in his beginning words, by quoting them, he's telling you, I will be commenting on these words, and I will be solving a problem that appears in these words. What is the problem, or, you know, another way to put it is, what is our question if we look at the words, um, what Moses did before the eyes of all of Israel? What's our, what's our next question? What's our next question? Wanna, anyone want to answer? Next question, before the eyes of all Israel, the question that Rashi is going to ask is, what did Moshe do before the eyes of all of Israel? Why that language? Because it very specifically says that Moshe did them, and Moshe did them, but there's something that he did in front of all of Israel. Okay, now that's a little funny. It's a funny language to, to emphasize because didn't, didn't Moshe do a lot in front of all of Israel? But so then we have to ask, and Rashi's going to ask, what was the thing that Moshe did in front of all of Israel, right in their before their eyes? So um answers, Hiro. I would have to say uh talking to God on Mount Sinai face to face. Yes, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Certainly, we want to go back to the Sinai experience. Certainly that seems like that, that was a stage and, and, and God sets it up that way. I'm going to come down to you on the mountain so that the people can see me speaking with you and thus they will have faith in you uh, evermore. Okay, great. So that's one of the things Rashi could have answered, but it's not what Rashi answers. But, but we're in the right location. 
A high road takes us to the right. That's where we're looking at. All of Israel is looking at Moshe do things. So what else um, might Moshe be doing? Noah Pollock? It's hard to say, but I'm thinking that perhaps it's with with the Ten Commandments, or more specifically, not not that, but I'm for some reason just thinking Korach and the earth opening up. I don't know okay. why. Great. That that's another great answer. Moshe did a lot, performed a lot of feats and miracles before all of Israel. I don't know. Was it the plagues? Was it Korach's earth opening scene late that comes later? Um, was it um, producing water from a rock? I mean, there are many things that Moshe did before all of Israel, and yet still Rashi sees here uh, a clue to something very specific. I see a hand raised from my uh, old friend Tomer Altman. Nice to see you, old friend from the from the Bay. Nice to see you. How you doing? I'm good. Good to see you too. Are, uh, are you able to hear me okay? Bavakasha, Thank you. Um, what jumped out at me um, when, when I see what Rashi is zeroing in on here, uh, when we read through the Passover Haggadah, uh, the same way that God is conspicuously missing in the Megillah, uh, Moses is conspicuously missing in the Haggadah. And we're told that Moses was a very humble man. Uh, a very humble man would not write about himself the things that were said about him right here. Um, so what jumps out at me is we're usually the miracles are attributed to Hashem. God is just working through Moshe. Um, so then the question is here, what were things that Moshe did here that were not Hashem acting through him? What are the things that were genuinely, spontaneously, without being bitten, coming from Moshe? Great. Oh, my gosh. Tomer, great questions and comments and very precise analysis there. I so appreciate it. First of all, Tomer's right that uh, the the language here is so celebratory. And it's so, sort of strange that that's how Moshe ended the Torah. Look at what I did. Am I awesome or what? And that's that seems strange. And in fact, there's in a different class, we've, we've gone down this rabbit hole before, but there are, there are, um, uh, there are Midrashim, there are Agadot that imagined that Moshe didn't write these last lines, couldn't have written. They took place after he was dead. Anyway, it must have been Joshua. Oh, that explains it. Okay, but there, but Tomer's right to note that there's something about this that feels like, Moshe, wow, you are awesome. And we're going to hear that in Rashi's commentary. And then Tomer's also um, very precise in, in thinking about what would it be that Moshe did? It's what Moshe did. Funny that the Torah ends not what with with what God did, but with what Moshe did. How strange and well noted. And Tomer then asked the question: So, what was it that Moshe did? Not what God did. The miracles are what God did. What did Moshe did do specifically? And, and as Tomer put it, of his own volition, of his own accord, of his own decision. And that's exactly where Rashi goes. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at Rashi's final comment in Rashi's masterpiece commentary on the Torah, and I, I I, do believe it's a shocker. Okay, so here we go. Before the eyes of all of Israel, shenaso libo lishpor haluchot. This refers to the fact that his heart inspired him. Literally, he, he kind of picked up his heart. He decided to shatter the tablets before their eyes. To shatter the tablets before their eyes. Because it does say, as it says in Deuteronomy, um, 
Vashbarim le'enechem in Deuteronomy, and I broke them before your eyes. Okay, and here's the link. The link is in Deuteronomy 9.17, same language there, le'enechem, before your eyes, that we have up here before the eyes of all of Israel, okay? So when Moses is retelling the story, he says, I broke them before your eyes. So it, of course, Rashi's not, Rashi is answering Tomer's question. What did Moshe do on his own in front of them all? So Rashi is answering the question of the, of the context of the meaning, but Rashi is not gonna just come up with an answer. He needs a, a linguistic link. Right, that's the way the midrash works, and then Rashi is borrowing from the midrash here. That oh, that was the thing that Moshe said he did before the eyes of all Israel. Okay, okay. So that's step one in that last this last piece of Rashi, and that should already be spinning your cop a little, because the thing that Moshe did that was before the eyes of all of Israel that we're going to mention and give um, a Moshe a credit for in the very last breath of the Torah is that he broke the first tablets. And he did do that of his own volition. God did not tell him to do that. In fact, the whole thing is God says, oh, you're going to have to make a second set of tablets. Okay. So that's already strange. Is that a thing we celebrate? And we'll soon begin to talk about that. But but before we do, let's take a look at the rest of what Rashi says, because it's even more audacious. Okay, so, um, uh, and I broke them before your eyes, and the opinion of, this is a sort of funny translation, but the opinion of the Holy Blessed One regarding this action agreed with his opinion. That's a funny way to put um, his mind agreed with God's mind. That's basically the best way to, to say it. He, and what he was thinking, God agreed with him. Okay? So that's new. <laughs> that's a new reading. Okay? That's a new reading. <laughs> it, it doesn't, we'll soon look, but it doesn't, I don't remember that story. God saying, hey, wow, good job on smashing those first tablets. That's what Rashi's saying. And then not only that, and here's the sort of punchline, is that Rashi says, um, the opinion of the Holy Blessed One regarding this action, I agree with his opinion, as it is stated that God said of the tablets, Asher Shibarta, the, ta the tablets which you have broken. And here's a little wordplay, okay? So this is this is if, <laughs> this is just a, a, a play on words. So if it sounds a little odd to you, it's just because they're playing with the sound of the language here. The sound of the language for the tablets which you have broken. Uh, this is taking place after uh, Moses breaks the tablets and God says, come back up. We're going to have to uh, redo this because of the tablets which you have broken. The language for that is asher shibarta. Here it is in Hebrew, asher shibarta. And there, the, the um, Talmud in this case plays with that language and says, asher shibarta. That which you brought, no, turn the asher to yishar, and it sounds like yishar koach, yishar koach, or we sometimes say yashar koach, asher yashar koach, 
Yashakoach Shishibarta. Now, Yashakoach, what does Yashakoach mean? Um, we say it around Ikar a lot. Actually, I just, uh, uh, I pour him, there was, uh, there was a mad lip. Someone's like, a phrase you hear a lot at Ikar. And someone's like, Yashakoach. And I thought that was a great testament to our community. Yashakoach means, well done, well done. And that's what uh, at Ikar are all encouraging each other. Well done, well done. So that was, that was a, but um, Yashakoach means well done. Bravo. And it literally means straight strength. And yishar means straighten your strength. Do it chazak, straight with strength. Okay. And there was that was wordplay. Okay. Um, the words asher shibart. Remember, there are two linguistic connections. One was that Moses said, I broke them before your eyes. Oh, that's how we know that that was the thing that Moses did before their eyes. And the second wordplay was. And when God said the, the, the tablets, Asher Shibarta, which you broke, God was really saying, Yasher, Asher, Yishar Koach, Yasher Koach. Well done breaking those tablets. Okay. And that, my friends, my dear friends, is the last thing that Rashi says in his commentary on the, on the Torah. The tablets which Moses broke, God said, good job for breaking the Torah. Good job for shattering those tablets. Well done. And in fact, I want that to be the last thing that we say about you. And I want that to be the last thing that we say in my holy Torah. Now, what the holy heck does that mean? Okay, let's just stop right here. And if we don't get any further, we can just chew on this. That's okay. We do have some more work to do here. But um Let's just stop to consider for a moment what um, Rashi is saying, which is that, and this takes place in our Parsha. Hopefully we will actually look at our Parsha this week. Um, but what happens? Um, Moshe goes up to uh, convene with the Lord for uh, 40 days and 40 nights and comes back down with the tablets. And just as Moshe is coming back down with the tablets, um, uh, he realizes that down below the people have built a golden calf. And when Moshe sees that golden calf, I mean, come on, these people 40 days ago were standing at Mount Sinai. And I, the last day, and he's coming down, and he, Moshe sees the calf, and he just, oh, just like can't. In fact, that line we will read, and then we'll open up the conversation. Let's at least make sure we get one pasuk in from our, uh, from our uh, reading this week. As soon as Moses came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, he became enraged. He became enraged. The Haraf Moshe. And why wouldn't he? I mean, this is it. This is our greatest sin. And he hurled the tablets from his hand and he shattered them at the foot of the mountain. Okay, that's like, and, and it, you know, and it continues to be intense, but that's note as Tomer teed us up to see, Moshe did that of his own volition, on his own accord. Okay, why was that so good? Why is God saying high five, good job, well done? Let's just theorize for a moment. Why would that be such a great thing that, you know, we have to figure out why we're ending the Torah with that with that image. Why would that be such a great thing? Okay, um, Hal uh, uh, Baron. Um, I guess what occurs to me is that this is a kind of inflection point 
And uh, uh, it's, you know, after this point, you know, it, the, the golden calf break, breaking the tablets, this is sort of the end of, for better, want of a better term, of slave mentality on the part of the people of Israel and that going forward, uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a more complete break uh, from, from, from that older. And, you know, it's significant in this respect that, uh, you know, in, the, in Deuteronomy, I mean, at the end, you know, Moses isn't going with them. I mean, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a breaking point for, for him too. But I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. But that's, that's really interesting what you're saying, Hal, that there's some kind of, now that we have two tablets and we have a before and an after, and we have like a process of increasing liberation, revelation, that it's like, and after all, the first tablets were associated with, I mean, they come down and they get commingled with great, they still don't know how to do it. They're still worshiping idols. It's still like all, so just in some ways, how gives us the most kind of like straightforward reading of what these two tablets mean in the story, which is like, something's still not working and must, let's break up, let's break it. Let's break the cycle. Let's break this something needs to be broken finally broken yes we've been liberated yes we've been um enlightened in some way but it's not working and something ah needs to be broken and then we can really start again and there's something about the the second tablets that, that represents a restart and that's important a restart is important right yeah okay that's really interesting that's really interesting ah i see my friend ezra Furman. I haven't seen you as i'm just a, a meeting of old friends good good to have you here good to have you here what, what are you thinking um, well, I guess I'm thinking of this moment as like, a, as a, as a, a human registers some protest to what's going on. There's like, if you imagine the version where he didn't smash the tablets, he comes down with the contract that says what you just did, you can't do. And like the relationship, the contractual relationship begins with a violation. I just see this as he's like ripping up the contract and like, um, no, this is not how we're gonna start this meeting between humanity and God. We wanna redo and it's like only a human being could, could, could say that. And that does something, I think, to like how God and humanity are going to like first really meet and enter into this like relationship is like, um, it's gonna, I don't know, it's just, just that someone would say like, not this way, I'm not gonna let these people like get in trouble first thing like we're starting over. It, I guess it seems like sort of a like, oops, I oops, I lost the 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 rules, and um, I guess we're gonna have to try again. And it's like, it seems like a solidarity kind of thing with with the humans. Good, good. Okay, so lo love that. Lo lots of interesting pieces there. Uh, first, first thing that Ezra does is takes us down a path that. Um, many of the sages go, um, and this some midrashim speak in this way, which is that 
let's not forget those tablets have on them do not worship other gods let's not forget they are currently worshiping other gods so if so as in the language of the midrashim moshe is saying i can't possibly what am i going to do if i give them these conditions they will immediately be violating them and that's moshe did it in other words for their sake that's the way the midrashim go and 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 the the way that that ezra was putting it it's like th this is a moment of of contract of covenant of agreement and and let's not forget that that the whole the the luchot or the luchot aidut of the they testify to this moment of coming together of contract and of agreement and that moment has to be itself it can't be contaminated with with a big mess and a contradiction and a and it actually forget about it just put it in plain language we don't want to start this way this is not a good way to start this partnership and the other thing that I love uh, that 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 you said was that this is a kind of a human uh, the idea here is that there will be a contract a partnership a dialogue between God Almighty and humanity and God's perfect sure but we're not and not only are we not perfect we're like we're sloppy and we're sloppy about our idolatry and we're also we can be a little sloppy about the terms of like there's something so human about saying crumple up the paper and throw it away <laughs> this is what I, I kind of heard like uh actually uh, soup, uh I spilled the ink uh, let's start again right there's something about that scene that's like Moshe's like Oh, what do I do now? Oops, <laughs> right? Like, what's in the, the Mel Brooks movie? Oh, the 10, 15, 10 commandments, right? So I like, I like that. That there's something, and and the, the and the 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 reason I, I I like that besides it being hilarious is that there's something important about yes, the messiness of the human entering into covenant with the divine, but also there's something that God is saying at the end, like. I want your humanity. I want your human initiative. That this was a moment where Moshe did, as Tomer said at the start, uh, he did this on his own. Uh, he decided this isn't how this contract's supposed to be for. I got it. Wh who knows what will come of this? But right now I have to break this. And that's like, wow. Like, imagine that God agreed with that. And said, whoa, I like that. I like that you have your terms. I want to be in dialogue. I want to be in partnership with you. There's a famous story about um, uh, Rabbi Yochanan and, and Rish Lakish and the, these, these um, great scholars and these sort of um, famous chevrutas. And then they got into a fight and then and they were estranged when, when Rish Lakish died and it, it broke Rabbi Yochanan's heart. And they would send Rabbi Yochanan other people to study with him. And he would say, get out of here. Like, you agree with everything I say. But Rish Lakish would argue with me, would push back, would, would like never less, let me rest easy. And I'm reminded of that story here too, that maybe God is saying, Yashar Kalach, nice, nice. Oh, you can break the tablets. I never thought of that. That's good. We're going to have to start over again here. Okay, so there's like a, that's a, that's a powerful road to go down. All right. Um, and here's, here's a version of it that I want to, I want to give to you. Um, from um, from Deuteronomy, and we're gonna th this this version has a little bit of a twist in it. But um, 
uh, it takes place in, in our Parsha, it takes place also in Deuteronomy. Um, then God said to me, um, uh, carve out two tablets of stone, karishonim, like the first. And come up to me on the mountain, I'll, I'll make and make an, an, an ark of wood. And I'm going to put on the, tab the, the tablets, the commandments, exactly what were on the first tablets. Asher Shibarta, there's that language, which you, the ones that you broke. That we said that, that earlier, that Asher Shibarta, which you broke, Vesamtam Ba'aron. Okay? So it's like the language there of Karishonim, just like the first. The rabbis go crazy of that around that language. Mm -hmm. Like we're gonna have a new set of tablets, and it'll be just like the first set of tablets, and they have the same words on them, and they're gonna be they're gonna go in the ark, right? So not only does God say, as I was just saying, it's like we're gonna keep going in some sort of like narrative dialogue, but actually the language is these will be what the the that famous article of our you know, our, of our, like, of our of Jewish symbolism, you know, the famous Jewish symbol, that's an awkward way to say it, um, of the two tablets. That's like, you know, on your, your kosher um, uh, stamp or, your, or above your shul or, you know, like those two tablets, the, the, those are replacement tablets. Those are replacement tablets, but that's okay. Our holiest object is a replacement. Okay, our holiest object is a is a plan B, and that also is quite. There's something to take in there. Again, as Rashi ends the Torah with that idea, what is what is what is Rashi doing there? What is Rashi asking us to consider to look back at our parsha and remember that there were these second tablets and they replaced the first tablets? Okay, so let's let's continue to let's take a few more. Uh, considerations here we'll circle around a little bit david kurtz um well the important thing for me just on that comment about the second set of tablets it, it, it was in moses's hand so um what i i'm so glad you called me after Stephen because Stephen kind of was saying what i was thinking but i want to put it a little more directly the only way that this all makes sense to me is that this is a big handoff um it's a test of leadership it's a test of moses's leadership God says, hey, this is what's going on down there. With you, you know, your people, while you're up here with me, people are doing well. So it, it just feels like a setup. And when Moses goes down and, and actually, you know, reacts the way he does, he shows his leadership. Because up until this point, it's been, it, again, it's been, God's been doing everything. Moses hasn't really been leading. It's been, it's been God that's been doing everything. And at this point, he's basically saying, all right, are you really the leader for these people? Here's a test. And God knows we got a lot of tests coming up after this. <laughs> and and so it feels to me like a real handoff of responsibility and of leadership. And and I think that's what Rashi is responding to. It's certainly at the end, because Moshe is saying to you people, you people, this is your deal now. You know, you either follow this stuff or, you know, the game, game over for you. And so I, I think it's... I, that that's where I'm going with this. Okay, good. I I like where you're going with it. I I think that there's something, uh, just on its face, with God saying "Well done" and the Torah ending by saying, "Never again was the prophet like Moshe." Moshe, 
think about what Moshe meant to us and what 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 kind of a leader Moshe was. And you know, David is considering this moment as the moment where God realized, yeah, you can do it. That this was the, I mean, what do you mean? Moshe was tapped from the start. Moshe led them through the, but this was the moment where God said, okay, this is going, you are, yes, I, this is the way it goes. And part of what, what allows um, uh, God to, to see Moshe's leadership strength is that Moshe as a leader is willing to, as we've said, rewrite the rules, like, renegotiate and that's part of it but also part of it is Moshe's taking the people to task and Moshe's saying to the people no like this isn't uh, Moshe's always the advocate for the people and we just saw Moshe advocating once again but there's also Moshe is also saying like I will not accept this behavior and that's there's everything about Moshe's reaction which seems to us I think, or at least to me in the read, like Moshe lost it. It just lost him. Ah. But actually there's everything about this is something that the Torah, you know, through Rashi and, 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 and really God, uh, uh, David is saying, admires, admires. There's something about good that you got angry, good that you, you, you said that you didn't just go along with it anyway, good that you, you did something drastic, good that like, Yashakoach, Yashakoach. Okay, all right. Uh, let's see, Jen Bailey Guerra. Hey, sorry for the lack of a camera today. Um, I I spent this entire class after we were talking about this as like a sacred act of extemporization, comparing this to Nadav and Avihu, who also extemporized and were punished for it, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what the difference is. And the only difference I can come up with that I feel like that our passage sort of indicates is Moses did this out of passion for his people. You, you could say out of anger, you could say out of love. Those two are sort of two sides of the same coin sometime, but he did that. But Nadav and Avihu were in secret, and at least in some interpretations, doing that out of their own individual passion for their own individual relationship to God. So it seems to me like something in that comparison could indicate that, you know, if we make if we mess up or if we maybe extemporize and we do it for other people, that's what makes us good leaders. Mm, mm, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, that's really interesting. First of all, just I just want to like to highlight the, 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 the question that, that Jen is asking, the, 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 the dilemma here, which is that God often seems to be um, totally intolerant of the slightest deviation from the divine command. It's like sort of strange and Nadav and Avi are incinerated for taking their own initiative. And as I said before, Moshe himself is, um, is it's doomed with not entering the land of Israel because he, there's something that he got wrong in God's command. And yet this is a moment where um, God says, Yeshakoach, well done, that was good. So it's like a di- you were first of all, like we could just leave that tension there and say we're imagining a different kind of God, one that then then the other one we sometimes imagine um, who is very strict and medactic, like making sure you don't. We're imagining a different kind of God that that wants us to rebel a little bit or to fight back a little bit or to take some in- initiative, and then 
I also I'm I'm intrigued. There's not enough time today, but I'm intrigued by the Jen tries to wonder about what what is it that allows for deviation to be legitimate and uh, and Jen speculates that it's when it's done on behalf of the people. You know, that's a really interesting as opposed to just, you know, you know, when it's done to defend the people on behalf of the people as opposed to just sort of an inner an inner desire of or, you know, yeah, there's something interesting about that. I I guess I want to put this in a in sort of a side box, but I think I think I often think that in 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 areas of Jewish law, for example, that you know we shouldn't change things ever <laughs> unless people are 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 suffering. You know, like the law has to accommodate human reality. It has to, like people can't suffer in the law. Like we can be inconvenient, but it can't be um, annihilating. And there was something about this moment of the law coming down, somebody said this before, that would have been annihilating. And Moshe's trying to save the people. And that's part of what Moshe did in that moment was he saved us. That's sort of part of the idea. Is that like, had Moshe come down with those tablets, that would have been, you know, there's something about what's going on. It was like Moshe knew that this would have been a disaster and the end he pressed pause. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Let's take, I want to take one more comment from Irene and then, uh, and then we'll look oh, at one. Okay. I, I just gave up and threw some of it in the chat, but here's the thing that I see is that just like the Akedah was, oh, look, you're going to sacrifice a child, but no, that's over with now. This is like, we're going to worship a golden calf. No, it's over now. You want something to touch and to worship, but that's not the way it is. You're going to follow the written word, actually, is where we switch. Uh, but we're still, we still have an object. We hold on to the broken pieces. We hold on to the full tablets and we carry them with us as something to venerate instead of an idol. and we never learned because the kings continued to honor their the gods of their foreign wives. They set them up in the temple I just read. And, um, and then God didn't come down. Foreign armies came down. Prophets yelled in the wilderness. So it's a continuing problem that we want something to touch and to see. And if all we can do is touch the Torah and kiss it as it goes by, that's what we do. But we still have this urge Okay. Okay. Beautiful. 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 Um, thank you so much, Irene. Just gives us uh, so, some really uh, sharp and 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 uh, and juicy. Can things be sharp and juicy? Um, last uh, uh, reads on this, and um, they are exciting to me because they they sort of um, they they find resonance in other. Uh, Kind of fit famous images in our tradition. One is um, one. One is just what, what you're talking about at the at the end here, Irene. That the, the this idea that we haven't spent a lot of time considering that um, the tablets are sto divine stone objects, and that's a problem. <laughs> Meaning like that. The, the, this is like the tablets themselves are an odd thing to enter into our no. Um, no idols, no objects of worship 
religion, right? Like, didn't we just hear that in the second commandments? And, um, and, and, in, and, and um, in fact, I'll make that uh, even stronger. Take a look at this. Um, when um, God says, carve out two tablets of, of stone, the language is, both in Exodus and Deuteronomy, psalecha, carve out. And this carving is exactly the kind of carving that the second commandment for, forbids. Pesel v'cholt munah, right? A carved object. So there's something about the tablets that the Torah is sort of after, they didn't say it the first time because the first tablets were written with like the finger of God, it says. But the second ones are like a Moshe has to carve something and that's dangerous. And to have tablets is dangerous. And here's the brilliant read, which I think Irene is, is giving us. And also of Reb Meir Simcha Devins, the, the Meshech Chochma gives us, which is that um, when Moshe came down, this is like one of the most beautiful pieces of Torah ever. I am glad I get to mention it. Um, when Moshe came down and saw the people dancing around the calf, Moshe understood that the people couldn't, like, needed physicality so badly and would never be able to, to just click over to pure abstraction. And so he understood that, that bringing down, coming down after 40 days with these stones would just turn the stones into objects of worship. And so what, it, what is to be done? What, what can be done? And Moshe thought the only thing to do is to take these things, which I just got from God, and smash them before the eyes of all the people so that they see that they're just rocks. That even this thing that I got that was touched by the finger of God is not the point. The point is not objects. The point is not objects. It's and it's so easy for us. We need so badly to have something to touch and something to feel and something to latch onto. We'll take anything. We'll take a calf. We'll take the Western wall. We'll take the, the, the crown of the Torah. We'll smooch, smooch, smooch it, right? But be careful with that stuff because that's not what it is. That's just a representation of what it is. And holding that balance, that's tricky. That's tricky. Okay, one other last thing. So that's the Meshach Chachma and worth, worth, worth studying on its own. One other last thing that I, I, Irene um, notes, which is that this is like, this kind of, this is a Midrash that kind of flows from the last text we just read because the last text we just read has some funny language and it says, I will inscribe on the tablets commandments that were on the first tablets that you smashed and you shall deposit them in the ark. But because the, the first tablets that you smashed is right next to the, the words and you shall deposit them in the ark, there is a famous legend that the, the tablets of the, of the, of the testament, a testament that are the second set of tablets, in other words, were in the ark along with Shivrei Luchot, along with the, the broken tablets. And both of them were in the ark, right? And that's a whole... Now we have like 30 seconds left. So it's worth mentioning, but is a whole that's a whole path we didn't go down, which is what is the value? What is the value of a broken tablet? Why is it still holy to us? And maybe part that's part of what Rashi's saying. That moment is holy to us. That um that breaking was holy to us. That was a good what whatever it was, we kept the shards. 
we kept the shards. And that was in our, that was a part of the covenant as well, right? If it's in the ark, it means the wholeness of the covenant and the brokenness of the covenant. Everything goes in the ark. And our triumphs and our failures and our joy and our rage and our uh, and all, and all of us, all of us goes into the ark, right? So, yes, that's a good place to end. That's a good place to end with all of us in the ark. All right, everyone, I'll uh, I'll see you next week. Check out our new episode of Best Book Ever. Yashar koach to you all. Thank you, thank you, great class. That was a great class. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.